There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police the arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. There are two sides to every story, but that is made more difficult when one of these sides is not around anymore to say their piece. On January 15, 1974, a young man was born who would go on to commit a crime that, in his mind, was a complete accident. Unfortunately, the only person who can confirm or deny his claims was the very person who lost her life at his hands. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On May 20th, 1993, at around 3 p.m., the body of 20-year-old Miriam Cannon was found in her Memphis, Tennessee apartment with a gunshot wound to her head. Inside the apartment with her body were her five young children, ages ranging from three to seven years old. According to Miriam's sister, she last saw her just a few hours before when she and a friend stopped by to take her to the grocery store. Constance Cannon, the sister, said she knocked on Miriam's door but received no answer. As they were leaving, they saw one of the children peeking out of the window, and several minutes later, Miriam opened the door, claimed she was not ready, and asked if they could come back at around 3 p.m. Behind her, on the living room couch, was a man named Clarence Nesbitt, red or poo to his friends. Though she had never officially met Clarence, she knew Miriam had met him about a month earlier. Constance thought it was odd that her sister did not invite her inside and did notice an odd horizontal mark on her neck, but with nothing else to go off of, did as she was asked. As police searched the apartment for any witnesses, a man named James Shaw came forward and gave police the break that they needed. James, the boyfriend of Clarence's aunt, who lived in that same apartment complex, said that on the afternoon of May 20th, he was sitting outside drinking a beer when he heard a gunshot from a nearby unit. Shortly after the sound, he saw Clarence Nesbitt leaving that area with a, quote, funny look in his eyes, walked straight over to a blue Oldsmobile, and drove away. Another witness, a friend and neighbor, Tracy Davis, said that on her way to the laundry room that day, she heard the children crying. And when asked, they said that their mommy was upstairs sleeping and they couldn't wake her up. Tracy went upstairs to check on Miriam and, upon entering her apartment, found the single mother lying on the floor in a pool of blood. She went back to her apartment, the children still trying to wake their mother, and called 911. When Constance arrived, the police were already with her sister's body. When they got there, one of the crying children told the officers that Red had shot their mother. There was no question who was responsible for Miriam Cannon's death. James Shaw would later testify that, a bit later in the day, Clarence returned to the complex in a pickup truck and explained to him that the pair were playing Russian roulette when Miriam shot and killed herself. James told Clarence that he needed to tell the truth, and the story changed to that he accidentally shot Miriam with a gun that he was certain was unloaded when he pulled the trigger to see how the cylinder would turn. He claimed he threw the gun away, but later confessed to taking it to a motel where his uncle was staying. James and Clarence were en route to the hotel to retrieve the gun when an officer approached them and asked Clarence to come with him to the station. James got the gun back and quickly surrendered to the police. 
With 19-year-old Clarence on his way into custody, the medical examiner started to look at Miriam's body and made a shocking discovery. Miriam had been repeatedly burned and her feet bruised and scratched during a form of torture referred to as falanga that involves the beating of one's feet. The torture, as far as they could determine, had been over an extended period of time with brands covering her body and marks made by coat hangers or similar objects, all of which would have caused her a great deal of physical and likely mental pain and distress. Some of the injuries, like the blisters under her chin, occurred just hours or mere minutes before she was fatally shot. Back at the station, Clarence was brought in for questioning, at which time he told the following story. After spending the night before with Miriam Cannon, Clarence pulled out the gun he had brought with him, unloaded all but one bullet, and placed them all on the top of the refrigerator. He said that Miriam then took the gun from its hiding place and began playing with it, pulling the trigger several times before it finally discharged. Terrified, Clarence grabbed the gun and left the apartment, tried to call James Shaw, but after receiving no answer, headed off to the motel where his uncle lived. After telling Ashley Nesbitt what happened, he took the gun and hid it behind the hotel toilet. When interviewed a second time, Clarence said that he shot and killed Miriam by accident. The same two stories he told James Shaw. He was arrested on May 21st, 1993 and placed in prison while awaiting his trial. During the court proceedings, Clarence testified on his own behalf and told the second story he gave to police. He claimed that he had known Miriam for about a month, and had visited her about five times prior to the shooting, and was at his uncle's motel the day before the murder when the police came in and began searching the premises. Seeing a gun on the dresser, Clarence pocketed it and hid it under his car seat. That's when he got a beep from Miriam and headed towards her apartment, removing the gun and bringing it inside, removing the bullets, and placing them out of reach from the children. He claimed the next day, after picking the gun up and looking out the window, he was, quote, fumbling with the pistol, pulling back the trigger really slow to feel the chamber rotate. When he did that, the left-behind bullet skyrocketed out of the barrel and straight at Miriam Cannon. He said that the reason he lied the first time, to both James and the police, was the same reason he fled the apartment. He denied any knowledge of the burns or torture that Miriam had suffered. On the stand, James Shaw testified that Clarence Nesbitt was a good kid, who was known throughout the neighborhood for his peacefulness. However, during the redirect examination, admitted that his girlfriend, Clarence's aunt, told him that someone said the teen was a Satanist who needed to kill two people to gain more power. Clarence Nesbitt was sentenced to death on March 24, 1995, and in September of 1998, the conviction was upheld after arguments were raised that certain testimonies should not have been allowed during his trial, like Miriam's own mother's impact statement. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on January 16th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember... Stay safe.